This is Graham Lynch for Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. Now, um, today we're going to be listening to what Tilstra had to say at a big media briefing they held this week um, regarding all the latest developments in their mobile and now satellite network offerings. So we've got that to look forward to later. But first up, Mr. Rowan Pierce, the Chief Editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. Okay, um, very interesting developments this week in the regulatory space. Um, just just to put a, uh, to just sort of set the, set the, uh, the, the context here, uh, the Australian telecom industry works under what's called a co-regulatory regime, where basically the industry body, Comms Alliance, um, comes up with self-governing codes of conduct, practice, systems, and so on for how they conduct all their, their business practices. Then they, they get ratified by the regulator. And then basically the industry is left to follow its own codes. But if they fail on a systemic basis or, or a particularly extreme um, uh, is ex- extreme individual incidents, then the regulator can step in and take some action um, in, in a very kind of post-ex facto sense. Anyway, that's all changing now when it comes to financial hardship and how it impacts the way telcos deal with customers who are suffering financial hardship. So can you tell us, Rowan, what was announced this week? Yeah, so I think, um, like, as you said, there's like a lot of kind of interesting context for this. But in a nutshell, what happened yesterday was that uh, Communications Minister Michelle Rowland announced that she had directed the ACMA to establish an industry standard as opposed to, like you said, a kind of, you know, a industry develops a code that the ACMA then registers. So the standard's going to be particularly focused around customers that are suffering financial hardship. And um, the minister gave the kind of context of like, obviously cost of living pressures are a big, big factor for a lot of families at the moment. And also the fact that communications is now considered an essential service. Um, I I think it also follows in the wake of, we've seen some research coming out, um, I guess, ACAN has produced some, Financial Counselling Australia has produced some about, you know, how uh, the reality of like how some people who are experiencing financial hardship are actually kind of interacting with their telcos. Um, And I feel it's probably something that's not really necessarily captured by the top line complaint statistics we see from the TIO, that kind of thing. So that's that's what's happening. Um, So direction from the the minister to create this standard, um, obviously in a very kind of uh, expeditious fashion is the kind of impression that you get that it's expected to happen soon. Um, but I guess the kind of broader context is that there has been this kind of like evolving discussion around the future of co-regulation and I guess people questioning, uh, you know, does does it have a future or are we going to move to direct regulation? Yeah, now that's an interesting point you make there, Rowan, because at the same time that this has happened... Um, the Communications Alliance is conducting a major review of what's called the Telecommunications Consumer Protection Code, the TCP Code, which is the, the, the major body of work which dictates how telcos should conduct themselves in the marketplace. Now, th- this week, the regulatory agency, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, came out and I mean, effectively gave a bit of an ultimatum <laughs> on this code. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so so I, I, one one thing we should note is that it is terrible that we're we're in an industry that has like uh, two two major TCPs, obviously 
<laughs> makes things very confusing at times. Um, but yeah, um, uh, uh, so ACMA, ACMA basically, this was coinc this um, coincided, um, obviously deliberately with um, the minister's announcement yesterday. The ACMA put out this position paper, which basically said, you know, this TCP revision process, Comms Alliance has kind of indicated be complete looking towards the end of 2024. The ACMA said you've got six months basically to get your act together and questioned, um, you know, the the effectiveness of the current TCP code. Particularly, you know, um, some of the criticisms were that some of the obligations seemed vague, um, they were hard to enforce because they seemed a bit broad. Um, and also, again, just a broader kind of questions about co-regulation and industry codes versus industry standards. Um, ACMA saying that with an industry um, standard, for example, they can enforce it in their first instance. They don't need to do anything like um, um, warning a telco and then enforcing it. Um, and obviously also they, they said there's a kind of issue around perception, which like codes kind of can be perceived to be like, you know, voluntarily, you voluntarily comply with the code versus like you must comply with the standard. Um, so, and they, they had like a long kind of list of, you know, evidence they were drawing on their own research, um, research again from ACAN and the TIO to basically saying that the TCP code was not fulfilling the kind of purposes it needs. Um, I guess the kind of flip side of this is Comms Alliance, um, actually at our conference um, last month, seems a long time ago, <laughs> um, actually proposed, they, they have put forward some kind of proposals which would make the um, uh, codes in general kind of easier for the regulators to enforce. Um, they've, like, they've said they're open to changes to the Telecommunications Act, for example, um, and basically, Something that would like like elevate really elevate the enforcement of codes to a similar level to standards, but still have the kind of industry driven development process. I guess is what Comms Alliance kind of wants to retain. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? And and obviously, there's a lot of pressure coming on this from various quarters. I mean, the you mentioned the TIO there before. You know, they've been really agitating um, for more regulation, and you know, their their particular thing is they basically want to a compulsory licensing scheme for telcos that involves some kind of test, you know, that, that you actually understand your obligations and, and you have you have some sort of, uh, you can demonstrate some inkling that you rely, that you appreciate your compliance obligations, um, which doesn't exist right now. Basically, you just got to be a fit and proper person to be a business director and getting a carrier license automatically follows. So there's some very interesting things, I think, um, will still play out in this space. And I don't, I don't think this will be the end of it. I think we're going to hear a lot more about this over the next six to 12 months. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I think um, like some things, uh, for example, everyone seems to be agreed at the moment that there should be some form of like registration for telcos at the moment. There's not really like beyond the carrier license scheme. There's not really for retail service providers. It's not a kind of registration process. And I feel like even Comms Alliance has said, yes, we're, we think this should happen. Akan said this should happen. So I think it's it's going to happen. Um, the TIO said it should happen. <laughs> so it's definitely happening. So I, I think there's definitely going to be like major changes. And I mean, like ov obviously the you know Comms Alliance has already flagged that they're anticipating some kind of significant revisions to the TCP code, particularly around things like people who are suffering like um, like domestic violence and that kind of thing. 
Uh, I, I, I tend to agree. I think it will definitely happen. And it's because it's one thing that won't get pushed back from industry because there's nothing in the industry guild likes more than a high barrier to entry for new competitors. Anyway, on that note, thank you very, very much for joining us today, Rowan. Cheers, Graham. Now, moving on, Telstra this week held a big media briefing to um, expand upon what it's been doing in its networks this year. So it was a deep dive mainly into 5G, but a little bit into satellite, because in, in recent weeks, Telstra has announced two deals, one, one a mobile backhaul be, uh, deal with OneWeb, and the other one a um, fixed voice and broadband both residential and enterprise um, resale package through Starlink which attracted an awful lot of attention in the press afterwards. Um, now, to be honest, there was a lot of reporting on this event. A lot of it was inaccurate. It was inaccurately describing what Telstra was doing, um, overly focused on Starlink, to my mind, relative to its actual importance to the overall business. So I thought the best thing to do is let's just hear from the audio from the actual network briefing itself. If you want to get up to speed with what was said, nothing better than to get it from the primary source, so to speak. So we've got about 20 minutes of audio to play here. Um, it's a really, really good thorough uh, um, examination of, of what Telstra is doing in mobile and, and, of course, in satellite. The MC was Steve Kerry, who's a, a media manager at Telstra. And he was talking with the group executive for networks and IT, Nikos Katanakis and the executive for technology development and solutions, Chana Sinaferatne. Um, so uh, they're all identified by name in the audio, so it should be pretty easy to follow. But have a listen anyway, and uh, I'll have some comments at the end. We've been on a massive journey, obviously, over the past couple of years. Um, and from that side of things, when it comes to our network and our network leadership, we obviously set ourselves very ambitious targets. Um, do you want to take the guys through sort of how we're tracking against that and give them a bit of an overview of what's been happening? Well, first of all, I realized uh, recently that it's year number five of 5G deployment. So, so suddenly it's not new anymore. Now we are in, in mid-cycle. Um, so five years, 85% uh, population covered. So that's, uh, that's official now. We close the, the year, 30th of June, done. And we are on track to, to hit the 95% in 2025. The next uh, big number that is important for us, it's 38% of our traffic is now carried over 5G. And that's, uh, that's important. We have set a target for 80% in 2025, or FY25, I should yep. say. Um, and why that's important is that we push more and more traffic onto 5G. It's all about the better experience for everybody. Uh, it offloads the older networks. We have a lot more capacity on 5G. It does deliver a better experience. So that's that's super important. My number one. Number one. What's no, number, number two? two uh, it's an exciting day because uh, Paul and Tim uh, uh, announced uh, today another first cloud run. Cloud run is we put the radio software onto the cloud. We did the first call on the commercial network in uh, in December. Now we have gone uh, and started deploying it uh, in the actual network. So we have seven sites in Queensland, uh, fully integrated, and that number will continue to grow, of course, uh, as the months go by. 
but that's that's important because it's uh, real software on a real network, um, and we're seeing the advantages now. And that's a partnership. That is in partnership with Ericsson. Yep. Our long and traditional <laughs> partner, uh, with, with whom we have done many, many of the firsts. And I see there's a chart in the back there with a, a lot of our firsts that uh, uh, people can walk around and take a look at them. Yeah, we will take you through. Um, we will well, we'll, we'll bore you a little bit with some of our firsts at some point. Um, Paul will probably touch on those at, uh, as we do the walk around, but they are up on the screens at the back should you, um, should you wish to have a chat to them. Obviously, talking to statistics, stats are always critically important. Chana, as we know, we love a good statistic. We love a good world first. Um, but can you talk us through where we cover and how we've increased that coverage um, more recently, especially in the regional areas? Sure, yeah. So, yeah, we do love our stats. So, um, so how much coverage do we have? 2.71 million square kilometres of coverage of Australia's landmass. That's about 35% of, of the total landmass. 99.6% of the population. Um, now, that's handset coverage. The, the other really interesting stat is that the Internet of Things coverage via narrowband IoT is 4 million square kilometres. So it's more extensive than handset coverage. And so if you look, plotted that on a map, you'd see it covers uh, roads, logistics, mines. Every really important sector is covered by that. And, and of course, we've got one million square kilometers more of coverage than our nearest competitor. And and when you think about it, you know, one million square kilometers, that also, you know, people driving is important. That's 9,800 kilometers of roads where we have coverage and our competitors don't. Um, in the last year, we've added another 50,000 square kilometers of coverage as well. And, um, you know, we're continuing to, to invest. Um, you know, so we've said that we will add another 100,000 square kilometers of coverage uh, for in regional Australia uh, by mid-2025. So that's a few stats thrown at you. And, and, and just touching back on that uh, IoT coverage, um, you know, we are bridging the gap where we only have 3G with 4G before we shut uh, 3G off next year, mid-next year. So that IoT network is built on 4G. So that 4 million square kilometres is going to grow this fiscal year. And then as we add another 100,000, you know, I, I don't know what, no, 4 million, it might be 5 million, who knows, you know, in, in the next uh, 12 months or so. So it's fantastic in terms of our coverage and what we've got out there. And it's certainly growing rapidly, which is what we like to, what we like to see. Um, whilst we're on the topic of regional, uh, it'd be remiss not to mention the recent Mocken decision um, that was handed down by the ACT. Um, unfortunately, they did vote or find in favour against us in relation to that particular deal. Obviously, it was disappointing, there's no question. Um, but thinking about that agreement and the support that we saw from regional Australia, what are our next steps on that front? First of all, I want to start by saying that I'm extremely disappointed uh, at the outcome because it was, uh, it was a bit of an innovative approach to how to provide more competition in regional Australia. Um, that would have, uh, that's something that a lot of people are asking for and we saw the support in the submissions to the regulators uh, uh, during the process. But here we are. We are obviously looking at uh, alternatives and uh, uh, lots of smart people are pondering now the outcomes. I have not seen the decision just yet, so we have not read the formal outcomes. It but runs, we are gonna... It does run to hundreds of pages, so... It does, okay. it's, Yeah, it's a very, very long document. Yeah, I'm almost looking forward to that. 
but uh, <laughs> uh, we, we are going to think through. Um, our investments will continue anyways. Uh, Spectrum auctions are coming up, so our commitment continues to be we're going to do our best to cover regional Australia as much as possible uh, in collaboration with the government programs as well, uh, Luxport programs and others. So that, that continues. And of course, that's opening the door about the satellite discussion yes. as well. We will get to satellite. Don't give too much away on that front. I'll certainly get to that later. But look, you know, I suppose one loss amongst the, the myriad of wins that we've had isn't such a bad thing. It was significant, there's no question, but we believe there are ways that we can obviously work around this. Um, but coming back to those wins, it's been pretty phenomenal. There's been a, like, a shopping list, effectively, of wins that we've had. So, Chana, do you want to take some time just to sort of talk through some of those key wins that have really stood out to you from us? Yeah, look, I mean, um, as you alluded to and Nikos mentioned, uh, you know, we're really proud about our world firsts. So since we launched 3G in 2006, we've had 52 world firsts. You think about that, 52. That's almost like three to four a year. Um, and uh, since we launched 5G five years ago, 19 world firsts. And then um, on top of that, we've had 26 Australian firsts, which are, you know, which don't include the, those world firsts, right? So, I mean, that's basically a record of consistent technology leadership since 2006. And there's several reasons as to why that's important to us. Um, first of all, I mean, it does give us influence. Uh, Australia, I mean, Telstra is not a, like, you know, compared to Verizon or AT&T, we're not a big tier one, but that record of technology leadership gives us a seat at the table everywhere we go, right? So that's one thing that's important. But switching back, why do we do this? It's because it's important for our customers. Because when we do those world first, these are actual, these are not backroom things, these are actual world first that impact the customer experience. So when we go world first, it means we're getting this capability, this superior welfare experience first to our customers. And that's really important, right? For us and for our shareholders, another fact is that when you uh, break a speed record or a capacity record, that's also us utilizing our asset more effectively. So if we uh, put more data faster through our pipe, that means our spectrum utilization is becoming more efficient. That means we're sweating our assets more, and that's better in terms of our bottom line cost to deliver a bit across the network. So all these things play into it as to why we do what we do, right? and uh, we're really proud of it. Yeah, and we should be proud of it. It's a, it's a phenomenal result, I think, and there's many of the members of the team that are standing around here that um, should be applauded for that. Um, but you will hear a little bit more about that later. Um, the topic I'm sure everyone wants to hear about, as Trev stares me down, is, uh, is no doubt satellite. Um, satellites, big news. We've had some big news this week, obviously, in the media um, in relation to the announcement we made around Starlink. We've also made an announcement recently around OneWeb. It is the hot, sexy topic, as it was described, I think, in the AFR. Um, it is certainly a topic that everyone wants to hear about, and it's certainly a technology that everyone is talking about. So what role do we play? And maybe do you want to just talk through a little bit around each of those individual agreements that we've got in place? Yeah, happy to. Uh, first of all, we have uh, another gentleman in the room, uh, Dominic, on the back. Uh, if you want to talk to him uh, a bit later about uh, the, the Starlink uh, uh, deal in particular, lots of knowledge there. Um, but let, 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 me, let me start by sort of explain a bit the satellites and throw a few factoids. Are you okay with that? Sure. Right. Throw some factoids. We love them. More stats. More stats. 
So there are three types of satellites typically, right? So we talk about geos, which is high orbits, imagine 45,000 kilometer type of thing, super high. Mid, so MIOS, we don't talk a lot about MIOS, but there is one um, satellite service that we all get and we love that we don't appreciate that they're coming from MIOS. Who knows what it is? GPS. So GPS is coming from MIOS, our most favorite service, right? And LEOS, of course, the latest incarnation, which is low orbit, uh, closer to Earth. Now, one interesting factoid is because they are closer, they have to go super fast. So how fast? 25,000 kilometers fast. Wow. So they, they circumnavigate the Earth uh, 12 times uh, an hour. A day, sorry. Quite okay. a day. Okay. A day. Yep. So that's it's, quite, that's it's quite, quite impressive. But that also means, now as I explain about how it fits with the network and, and why we're making those deals, imagine these LEO satellites now as they traverse Australia. They basically cover a piece of Earth for 20 minutes. And then you need another satellite to come behind it to cover that same piece of land, right? So, so you have this constant cycle of coming over almost. Yeah. So it's just like a network, but it's in the sky, and you have one base station that keeps circling. So from a capacity perspective, it is just like a network. It's going to face exactly the same challenges as everything else. Uh, at some point, it's going to get congested. The speeds are going to slow down, which is not the case now. But we, we view these satellite networks as an extension of our own. So three deals that uh, we have announced publicly. One is Viasat, which is a geo uh, satellite. We're building the Earth stations for that. Uh, we announced one web oh, a week and a half ago, two weeks? Uh, two weeks ago, yeah. Um, Leo service, and the deal that we announced is a lot about backhaul, so tremendous capacity to augment places where we can't deploy fiber. So think about now faster deployment in regional Australia, but also a backup uh, when something happens. So if the fiber gets cut uh, in a particular location or we have an emergency where the transport network is not active, we can fall back to satellite. So that's, that's super important for us for disaster season. Uh, when, again, I, I, probably the first month I joined uh, as, as in Australia here, we had an incident where we, we lost broom. So I always bring broom up as an example because it's 2,000 kilometers of fiber. And some farmer cuts the fiber and we're in trouble. Now it allows us for alternatives. So we have the opportunity not to have isolated communities anymore. So that's one web. And Starlink, which is uh, super exciting because Starlink is already in market, um, quite successful in, in acquiring customers. And um, another first, and that again proves the kind of point of how important Telstra is globally, first uh, deal globally that Dominic and team uh, struck with uh, Starlink to resell services. Uh, we are not in market just yet. We announced the agreement uh, just two days ago. We are going to be in market by year end. And uh, we are going to offer two types of products, one for consumer and one for business. Uh, different speeds, different capabilities, but that's, that's the intention. Uh, people will have to buy their hardware, uh, 
and we are going to announce pricing and exact product structures and everything else by, by year end. Yeah. And it's a very, I mean, super exciting announcement, no super question, has raised a myriad of questions, obviously, with people wanting all the details now, so we would stress, please be patient, we will come to you with pricing, we will come to you with product details. Um, the other side of satellite that everyone seems to be talking about, and Chatter, I might ask you this question, is the obsession with direct-to-handset. Oh. Um, it is sort of that natural evolution that everyone wants to know, yeah. when can I seamlessly make a phone call that's going to move between network, satellite, yeah. back, etc. How far away are we from that, in your view? Yeah. Is there any insights from the various groups that you sit on globally as well that you've got that you can share with the room here? Sure. Definitely. Yeah, so, so direct, direct to handset um, comes in different flavors. So I'm sure you're all aware now that there is some direct to handset satellite today for tech services, right? So if you've got an Apple i14, they have their SOS feature where you can send a text message if you're outside of terrestrial coverage um, to their uh, Leo, which is a global start, their partnership, uh, but it's a text message, right? Uh, Link is another company who have announced a similar text type service. I think T-Mobile and uh, SpaceX have got a, a venture. Again, it's texting, right? So, so that's what we have today. But if you, if you were talking about um, voice and data, that's an altogether different matter. Um, we're not going to see director handset for that for at least two or three years. And there's, there's some very good reasons for that. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on uh, what Steve said. So um, I'm you know, from Telstra. We, we are part of uh, 3GPP. We contribute to standards. We are also a member of the GSMA, uh, which is you know, the operator standards body. Um, and there is a development which is part of the next, one of the upcoming releases of 3GPP, which is called Non-Terrestrial Networks. Okay, and that's about specifying the ecosystem. So when we talk about the ecosystem, we're talking about developments from handsets to the network to be able to do direct-to-handset for voice and data on the move, right? So, so today's handsets, if you think about it, are just not geared to doing voice and data. And why? I mean, Nikos alluded to it, right? Those Leos are moving at 25,000 kilometers an hour. So the handsets today, their antennas are not tuned for that because one of the things you've got to solve for is the Doppler effect. So a little bit techy, but you know, when you're moving, so you've got, you know, the satellites are moving fast, and if you're mobile as well, your, the algorithms in the mobile have to kind of solve for that fact that everyone's moving as opposed to a base station which is stationary and that when you're moving in a mobile it's very low speed, right? You're not solving for much, the Doppler effect is very tiny. That's one example of a challenge. So, so part of the 3GPP release in release 18 is NTN, non-terrestrial networks, where the handsets will be different which are tuned to work with LEOs. And that along with the fact that, and, and we are contributing these standards, we want the experience to be seamless. In other words, when you're connected to a satellite, you know, uh, when we have non-NTN non working, be able to seamlessly work between the satellite and our terrestrial network, and it'll be anchored by our 5G core network. Now, this is two or three years in the future. But we do have companies today who are trialing that, right? So, for example, there's a company called AST who are trialing, um, you know, director handset, and they use what's called a bent, bent pipe solution. So they have base stations on the ground and they reflect the signal up and down. But it's really early days and they are all proprietary solutions, right? 
and even AST, even though they're doing early trials on 4G, it's going to be two or three years before we start to see anything really serious in terms of voice or even low speed data. And it will be, you know, you're just not going to see the really high speed data uh, speeds that you get on a terrestrial network because we just don't have what's called a bandwidth density from those satellite beams to provide the sort of intensity of coverage that you can from a, from a terrestrial network. So it's coming, it's exciting, but it's going to take a few years to, to appear. Good thing we promised to keep it simple, Jana. Yeah, uh, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, like, effects, dog, yeah, I know, yep. but these guys are tech agents. <laughs> I, I, I saw some of you nodding when I mentioned Dr. Okay. Now, uh, just, just a couple of points I want to make here. Um, yeah, there was a, a lot of reporting focused on Starlink, and now it's, you know, there was one report said, oh, it's going to make the MB, NBM have to write off its SkyMaster satellites called Starlink, so it's going to smash it in the market. Well, no, it won't. This, this, for a start, the SkyMaster satellites have a life. They've got to be written off in, in 10 years anyway because they're going to run out of fuel. Um, but there's room for both. Um, Starlink's quite pricey um, in, in the in user market. It's not for everyone. SkyMaster has a cheaper price point, so I, I feel they probably use room for both. But it's it's worth putting into perspective the scale of the markets being addressed here. So the the, the universe for satellite end users, as MBN measures it, is about four hundred thousand potential end users, and right now just under a hundred thousand of them are on SkyMaster. We know that there's about one hundred and twenty thousand on Starlink, and, and probably a, a long way to go. Now they they're not all in that four hundred thousand area. Some of them are also um, being picked up in the fixed wireless footprint of MBN as well. But it, it, we're talking about the last 7 8% of the market. The simple fact is that Starlink has very, very finite limits on the number of customers it can have in any specific geographic area. So whilst it could be a really powerful solution in the areas around, say, country towns, you know, when you, you get that... that um, get the lower density, large properties on the fringes of towns. That's, that's where SkyMaster's really attractive or for people in really remote locations and ditto for Starlink. But you know, when, you, when you get to any kind of uh, built up settlement of any kind of density, then fixed telecommunications or in some cases 4G or 5G fixed wireless are going to be superior options. So, so we just got to put it in perspective. This is tiny, tiny bickies in terms of the, the business cases for either NBN or Telstra. No, we're talking literally asterisks in, in terms of the impact that these products will have on each other. So I, I just sort of want to put that in a bit of perspective as well. The, the other thing is that um, um, the, the, probably the biggest announcement I thought um, at this briefing was around the introduction of CloudRan in, into the Telstra network. Now, I won't, I won't go into great detail on what that means, but effectively what it means is that the, the centralized unit, distributed unit functions of Telstra's network will be decoupled from the base station site and put somewhere else. So you've got, you've, you've got a lot of capacity there for network efficiencies and, and presumably cost efficiencies as well. You don't need to have all that intelligence everywhere. Uh, and all that processing power in so many locations. So what probably the, the really big theme to take out of this is that Telstra is adopting the, the next paradigm in how you run a mobile network, which is to effectively put a lot of the, the processing grunt on the cloud. 
The, the other Chilcos will follow as well, but that's the big thing. But, you know, if you're reading a lot of the reporting this week, you wouldn't have even known about that. Anyway, that's Comms Day Live for this week. Looking forward to seeing you next time.